0: welcome this is the sydney ideas podcast bringing you talks and conversations featuring the best and brightest minds at the university of sydney and beyond
1: welcome to sydney ideas the university of sydney's public talks program my name is Fanella Kernerbone. Uh, it is a great pleasure to be your moderator for today's conversation all about happiness what is happiness But before I begin proceedings, I would firstly like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the lands on which we all meet, where we live, where we work, and we share ideas, wherever you happen to be joining us today. I also acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is on their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. And as we share our own knowledge, our teaching and our learning, our research practices within our university, we also pay respects to the knowledge that is embedded forever within the Aboriginal custodianship of country. I'm on Gadigal land. And again, it is a great pleasure to be joining you today for our conversation, which is all about what is happiness? It is an absolute delight to have your company. It's a big conversation. We've already had some really fantastic questions that have come through already. And if you're joining us on Zoom or on Facebook Live, hello to you. We're going to be talking about what happiness means, how we might find happiness, especially in this time, this current moment, the ongoing pandemic, the lockdowns. I hope you're all doing well. It does feel unrelenting sometimes. I, I look on my Facebook feed or my social media screens and I, I see endless offers of things that promise me that I am going to be. Happy. Uh, Maybe I just need to do this kind of exercise or eat this type of food or get a dog or have some more money or something like that. But will these things make me happy? What is happiness? These are the kinds of questions we're going to be talking about today and and so much more. Uh, Our first guest, of course, is Rebecca Di Unamuno. She is an award-winning improviser and a stand-up comedian. She's a radio host and she is a voiceover artist. She's appeared on many popular TV shows like Just the Laughs, Kath and Kim and is a regular on ABC Radio. Hello, Rebecca, good to see you.
2: Hello, good to see
1: you. Um, Also joining us is Dan Nahum, who is an economist with the Centre for the Future of Work. Hello, Dan. His research interests include industrial transformation, labour markets in low-carbon economies, government finances, and inequity and inequality. Hello, Dan. Good to see you too. Welcome. Dr. Tim Sharp is well suited to this conversation. He is aka Dr. Happy, an internationally renowned leader in the field of positive psychology, a former academic and the founder of CHO. Uh, sorry, and CHO uh, Chief Happiness Officer of the Happiness Institute, which is Australia's first organisation devoted solely to enhancing happiness in individuals, families, and organisations. Our final speaker, of course, is from here at the University of Sydney. She is a senior lecturer in philosophy. She specialises in ethics, free speech, philosophy of well-being, and happiness. Uh, is currently working on a book on the philosophy of happiness. And if you have a chance to see or listen to her talk at raising the bar in 2018, that was the inspiration for today's session. Hello, Caroline, good to see you. Hello, Fenella, thanks for having me. Today's seminar is called What is Happiness? Uh, Our speakers really do know their subject inside out in all the different permutations of what this might mean. So let's begin with the the topic title um, of our webinar today. It seems a simple question, but perhaps it's one of the most complex and it is simply what is happiness? So, Caroline, I want to start with you. As a philosopher, what's your perspective? What is happiness?
0: Uh, Well, I think happiness is an umbrella term that covers a range of really very different states that are um, much more different than ordinarily uh, acknowledged. So ranging from a short-term transient emotions like joy, to um, longer term uh, um, moods like tranquility or contentment to not feelings at all, but cognitions, you know, belief states like I'm achieving my major life goals or, uh, you know, I I think I'm getting most of what what I want or most of the important things from um, really something that harks back to a, a very, very ancient way of thinking about happiness, philosophically speaking, the idea that happiness is sort of equivalent to leading a good life. And those are really very different ways of thinking about happiness. If you ask an ancient philosopher what happiness is, well, they they didn't use the word happiness. They used the the Greek term eudaimonia, but they'd say happiness is a matter of um, leading a certain sort of virtuous existence um, that's constitutive of the good life. But if you ask many modern people, you know, if you took a mic out in the street and you ask people what happiness is now, you get much more sort of subjective psychological state answers like uh, happiness is enjoyment or happiness is joy or happiness is something like that, getting what I want, ticking off the checklist of major goals for my life. And that's a quite different modern, distinctively modern way of thinking about happiness.
1: So there's many different ways to, to consider the question. I mean, briefly, how did you fall into the subject of happiness as a philosopher, Caroline? What's that
0: story? Well, it's an embarrassing... I, I fell into the topic of happiness. I was working on other things, free speech and uh, moral responsibility and things like that. And I, But I was at, at the time I was deciding with my partner, we were deciding whether or not to have kids, and one of my colleagues turned up at my office door and with this book, you know, he's sort of brandishing at me, saying this is essential reading, Chapter 6. And um, Chapter 6 was just this kind of extensive documentation of the happiness undermining effects of having kids. Um, you know, there were ja- um, charts that charted, you know, the, the um, giddy heights of unfettered coupledom, you know, and then you cohabit for a bit, it's fantastic, and then you have the first child and it's like, you know, an aeroplane dive. It's like boom, you're bottoming out. And if you live long enough and your kids have have uh, children, so you become a grandparent, then and only then might do your happiness levels begin to intersect again with it. The... So for those for those of us with kids, this kind of makes for very sobering reading. I mean, the postscript to that story is I decided, you know, I did bring the studies home. I did show them my partner, stare these in the face, do you still want to go ahead? Um, but we did have kids. And it, uh, part of the reason for that is I, I think those studies raise um, very important questions about, um, you know, what's being measured? Is what's being measured in those studies happiness or happiness of a kind that really matters? Um, uh, is what we care about moment to moment feelings of joy or whatever? Or do we care about, uh, you know, having a sense of meaning and purpose? Because people with kids score tend to score higher Higher than that. Of course, my colleague, who doesn't have kids, and showed me the study. He's got two dogs, and he says what What's important is joint projects. You know, so if you can find more hedonically meaningful joint projects, like you know, joint custodianship of dogs. Anyway. That, that, could be, that
1: could be. That Re-reaction. could be. That could be. That could be the solution Re-reaction. for sure. Um, I think we're going to certainly be talking about what the measures, how we measure happiness in in a moment as well, because I know that's what um, you look into, Dan. But maybe Dr. Tim Sharp or Dr. Happy, if I if you don't mind me calling you that, I, we asked Caroline this question at the very top but what is happiness for you, and obviously from your point of view as a positive psychologist.
3: Yeah, well, uh, well firstly, thanks for having me, and, and secondly, uh, just to, to preface to um, say how how good it is to have uh, such a diverse panel discussing such a complex topic. So I think, so, uh, I think happiness um, it does mean so many different things to so many different people, um, and it's important to consider all the various perspectives, I think, from uh, obviously psychology, which is my of expertise, but philosophy, economics, and you know there are very different ways of, uh, of thinking about it. And I think Carolyn's touched on a few of them. Um, uh, you know, I think for most people, happiness is uh, a form of positive emotion. Uh, that's the easiest way to think about it, and so that's something like joy or uh, satisfaction or calm. But uh, but Carolyn's also touched on um the broader definition, the deeper definition, and really what what positive psychologists are mostly interested in is is not just the positive emo- emotion of feeling good, but um, what what the ph- uh, philosophers might call living a good life or living a great life, living our best life. And and although that does involve positive emotions, positive emotions are very important. Uh, it's also about having meaning and purpose. It's also about having a clear direction. It's also about being physically fit and healthy. Um, And it's also most importantly about having good quality relationships. I mean, I think too often happiness is just seen as a subjective uh, experience that I experience on my own, but it's really much more than that. One of the strongest findings from the research in all different ways is that uh, happiness is about connection, it's about belonging, it's about good quality relationships. So, you know, if we think about that in a broader sense, again, that's what positive psychologists call thriving or flourishing, which is, uh, I think, probably in some ways a more important concept than, than happiness in and of itself Okay.
1: Um, Rebecca, listening to this and obviously coming to it from the perspective of someone whose job is to make other people, well, laugh, or, which is the business of happiness in itself, what's what's your perspective? How do you see this idea in a different light?
2: It's interesting because uh, the arts in particular <laughs> during these uh, lockdowns is, uh, it, it seems as though we have kind of lost our identity, who we are in this world where we had a place before that was... Um, very set and you know our job was to make people laugh but it also meant that we had to book gigs turn up to gigs write material the whole works and I feel that my level of happiness if I'm to put it in a personal perspective and I think having spoken to so many of the performers I have is that without that sense of who we are being able to be expressed our level of happiness has diminished and so I think for me, as a performer, and particularly an improv performer, where honesty and truth is fundamental, I think living your true self and your true life is for me what provides happiness.
1: And it's all about connection, too, and there's so many other different kind of ways. I love the, the term that you talked about having meaning and purpose, uh, Tim, before as well. I mean, Dan, give us give us the perspective from an economist's point of view, because, uh, you know, Caroline brought up the, the concept of measuring happiness before, and lots of different countries do do this. Give us a sense of how we sort of think about happiness as a concept in economics specifically.
4: So, most mainstream economists don't really talk about happiness. They might sometimes use, use terms like thriving or well being. Um, maybe they even use the term happiness, but that's not often what they really mean. Often, what they're talking about is as a concept is utility, which is uh, really about preferences. And uh, it, it's a bit of a leap of, of faith to go from the idea that the choices that you make in transactional situations, and, of course, we're economists so we're often thinking about markets, the, the choices that you make are, are properly representative of your happiness. Uh, you can make choices that don't make you happy or that mo- only make you happy in, in quite specific ways. So I think utility is quite uh, a, a limited concept uh, in, in certain ways, um, and, and I think that uh, that uh, psychology and Um, economics uh, probably have um, something to teach each other uh, about uh, how happiness is is both experienced and also uh, what sorts of things need to be done to promote it. Now, in terms of what needs to be uh, done to promote it, I mean, certainly what economics can do is help uh, governments, policymakers and so on distribute resources in such a way that... um, is optimal for people having the building blocks or the scaffolding that they might need to pursue happiness. Uh, so, so I think that, uh, Uh, things like access to uh, amenities, healthcare, um, you know, education, all those sorts of things. Um, I'm I'm reminded here of of the idea of, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't actually say happiness. It says, you know, here are the opportunities to then go and pursue it uh, yourself. And I'd echo what Tim said a moment ago about our happiness being deeply enmeshed in the happiness of uh, others around us, and I, I think that um, one of the issues with mainstream economics uh, here is is that it is uh, methodologically individualistic. So it really looks at uh, what's what's working for for you as as an atomized individual, and it has trouble thinking about uh, how your preferences might actually be um, very much tied in with the preferences of those around you.
1: So, so Carolyn, what are your thoughts listening to that in terms of the the preferences of those around us? How does that play in with the the way you think about it from a philosopher's point of view?
0: Well, I was thinking as Dan started saying, you know, that that, uh, economists basically, they they traditionally define happiness in terms of what you choose. So um, whatever you choose makes you happy regardless of whether it makes you miserable or whatever. If you don't mind that, then that's fine. Um, that actually harks back to a, to a very old way of thinking about happiness. When the term first, the, the term happiness comes from the Middle English word "hap," meaning fortunate or lucky, and um, first occurrences of written occurrences of that are around the 1300s, in things like Chaucer's House of Fame, and there. To be happy didn't wasn't didn't refer to a feeling at all um, happiness meant that you got lucky you know so the happiness of the person who won the lottery consists in their good fortune you know, the, the fact that they've won the lottery and not in any feelings of joy or satisfaction or whatever that they might experience as a result which are rather consequences of their happiness and that um, sense of that's the sense of happy that you also find in biblical passages you know happy is the man who finds wisdom or whatever it's not like chipper is the person who finds knowledge it's it's um, fortunate you know lucky Um, and so that way of thinking about happiness is was historically very very prevalent but as we now know thanks to research by um, well psychologists like uh, Daniel Kahneman: Getting what you want is absolutely no guarantee of liking what you get, and is often actually uh, comes comes apart. So what the de- so what we now know is that good feelings are not don't necessarily accompany the satisfaction of desires, and, and that's a sense in which I think it's really important. I mean, if there's one important, most important lesson that I've learned from reading all the empirical research on happiness, it's the importance of distinguishing between liking and wanting between satisfying your desires and um, enjoyment or long-term contentment or tranquility. You know, we really have to be careful. The moral is if you want to be happy, you want to maximise enjoyment, say, and positive emotions. You have to be really careful what you wish for.
1: Understood. A question actually came in earlier, um, Caroline and Tim. I thought maybe this might be sort of linking to what you just talked about, but it was from Joanne, and she was asking specifically, how does happiness differ from joy? Tim, give us your sense of what this means.
3: Uh, Well, it it comes down to how how you define happiness. (laughs) Uh, So, in one sense, happiness is a form of positive emotion, and joy is a slightly different form of positive emotion. So, there's a whole, a whole range of emotions from the so-called positive ones and to the so-called negative ones. So, historically, the negative emotions are things like stress, depression, anxiety, et cetera, and the positive ones were things like happiness, joy, contentment, et cetera. So in that, uh, the, the answer in that context is uh, it's a slightly different form of positive emotion. But if we think about the broader or bigger or deeper ver- uh, definition of happiness, like living a good life, uh, then positive emotion differs from living a good life in that it's only one sub-part of it. Uh, positive emotions are important to living a good life, but uh, but they're not everything. There are some other significant components that I touched on earlier that are just as if or possibly more important. For sure. Dan, your thoughts?
4: I think, I think um, that idea of a balanced life is really important and, and we've already talked a little bit about uh, this distinction between... Um, uh, you know, sort of hedonic uh happiness and um that eudaimonic uh happiness as well. Uh I, I suppose that the difference between uh, immediate pleasure and gratification, which is, you know, it's important, it matters. Um and 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 that that more sort of durable sense uh that that you're kind of on the right track and that you're doing something satisfying and, and meaningful. Yeah.
0: So Can I jump in on that? Sorry, Mm -hmm. to interrupt, um, Dan. But because I I I think that one of the most important things to see about happiness is because there are so many different types of it. So Tim's, you know, positive psychology sort of focuses uh, on the positive emotions, but also thinks more broadly about you know the good life and what else what might be involved in thriving. But um, a lot of this seeing clearly that there are different types of happiness that can come apart from each other, I think, is really important because. Um, it, I mean, and and really helps to to avoid making too many decisions that you re, that you later regret, because some of the biggest life decisions actually sort of involve trade offs between different types of ha- different types of happiness. So I mean, there's lots of examples I could talk through with this, but let's just focus on one close to Dan's profession, you know, economics. So look at the effect of money on happiness, and so a lot of the students I teach in in my philosophy of happiness course, they're choosing between you know should I pursue a career where I'm going to make lots of money or should I you know pursue my passion for art you know even though even though you know I might not get get super wealthy, wealthy from it. So answering that question really involves distinguishing between different types of happiness because earning more money or being wealthier um, has an effect on life satisfaction at least in materialistic societies like ours. Um, so the more money you earn the more satisfied you, you'll, uh, the more, you know, so when you're given a thing that says rate on a scale to zero to 10, how satisfied you are with your life, you'll give a higher rating the richer you are on average. But um, over, Daniel, this is again Daniel Kahneman's research, in over US $75,000 or equivalent, every extra dollar you earn makes next to no difference to how you feel moment to moment. So if you're thinking about positive emotions you really shouldn't care that much about money. So long once you've reached a threshold where you're not anxious about being able to pay the bills, that's really important. It's really important that people have enough money so their lives are not contaminated by financial anxiety. But above that, once you'll, you know, have a baseline of, material comfort above that every extra dollar makes next to no difference to how you feel and that, uh, that unless I'm going to be a billionaire or does this Not, make a uh, uh, yeah, until you get on the Forbes rich list so, <laughs> oh great yeah so Easy. whether you earn 75,000 or 200,000 or 500,000 a year or a million or five million I mean this is really incredible don't you think doesn't make much difference how you feel moment to moment as you go about your life until you get filthy rich And then you're much happier, but there's a selection bias there too. You might worry about those findings. Sorry, (laughs) Tim, what's your
3: thoughts? It's actually not entirely true. (laughs) Um, So it is true to say that um, uh, money will buy more happiness up until a point, which is what Caroline's saying. So once you get to that point uh, of, you know, and I guess the question is how much is enough? Um, It's a bit of debate about that. But certainly once you uh, get beyond the stage of Ah, uh, worrying about paying bills, paying for rent, paying for food. Uh, then, increasing money doesn't necessarily lead to uh, comparable increases in happiness. It, it tails off, but more money still does lead to more happiness. Uh, that that research has been misrepresented a bit. Just not nearly as much as people think, and other factors become far more important, like our physical health and well-being, like our relationships. Uh, but even on the Forbes Rich List, there was actually a study uh, about a decade or so ago that did look at the, the I think it was the 100 wealthiest people in America. Uh, and they had just the same, almost exactly the same proportionally, uh, rates of unhappiness, rates of depression as the general population. So even at the mega levels, and uh, you know, it's definitely not a guarantee. But, but I think what we need to be careful of here um, and this going back to Carolyn's first point, is I think a lot of the time there are these false dichotomies created, like money's good or bad. Uh, pursuing your passions is good or bad it, it's actually it's actually far more complex than that so you know whether your students pursue uh, something that pays more money or pursues a passion we can actually do both you know we can earn good money and still live a good life so again I think it is important we can sort of, sorry just uh, to have clar- this dichotomous no just go. to
0: clarify what I was saying I, I was saying it crucially depends on what kind of happiness you're focusing on so it's too simplistic to say Will I be happier if I earn more money? Yeah. Yeah, you have to ask more fine-grained questions. What kind of happiness do I care about?
2: As a comedian, you definitely, uh, the more money you're earning, the happier you are, as any artist, I think, uh, is uh, the way it is, uh, because we don't have regular incomes and we aren't in a routine where we know that safety net is there for us all the time. We're we're walking on a tightrope without one uh, for the majority, and that's why there is... So much uh angst, anxiety, depression um in within the arts itself. Uh Equity, the MEAA, did a survey of its members, of which I participated in uh, a couple of years ago. And the results were frightening uh about the the level of depression amongst Um, artists and the feeling of insecurity, the constant anxiety. And I think the lack of financial security has a a lot to do with that. And there are no uh, coaching methods that we get given or handed uh, because we're working with different employers every day, different people all the time. So there's no structure in place to look after us uh, to make sure that that's the situation. So that's left up to the individual artists to take care of their own mental health, which is on top of paying the bills, the mortgage, the buying groceries, surviving, and looking after families for those that that do have them. That is that is a lot to take on. And the relief that money provides when you get a good gig or any gig at all um, is, I know personally, alters my happiness level. Uh, you know exponentially. So it's it's all kind of
1: linked. Dan, I would love you to weigh in here because this this is something that, as uh, from the future of work, which is you know your main kind of um, sort of research, the the way that our lives have sort of dramatically shifted for many of us that are that are working from home because of the pandemic, through the lockdown, the homeschooling, all of these types of things are feeding into this this level of what makes us happy. A big question. So uh, how has the pandemic, in your perspective? Change things in terms of our happiness, if I could be simple about it, or our well-being. Look,
4: I think the first thing to mention about um, what what all of the panelists have just just said right now is that uh, it kind of tells you what the implications of government policy need to be, doesn't it? There's a sweet spot for happiness, and 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 if you can get people to a certain level, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, you know what what economists uh, call you know uh, sort of optimal, you know. Um, so if you distribute wealth in such a way, you can generate the most happiness with a certain amount of, of, of money if, if you assume that uh, what we're measuring here is, is in fact happiness. But uh, let's, uh, let's say for, for a moment that it is and think about the, the government's um, uh, responses initially to COVID-19 and uh, just just the, uh, the huge fiscal injections in terms of uh, doubling uh, job seeker overnight, uh, and, and JobKeeper, and just the, the level of financial security that put in place, uh, not just in the face of the pandemic, but for people who don't have financial security in a lot of cases under normal circumstances. And that's not just people who are unemployed, but it's also people who have uh, insecure or precarious work in a lot of cases. I accept that JobKeeper certainly didn't co- cover all of them, but um, but my general point is that um that that was an obvious example of policymaking uh, talking to well-being in, I think, a very direct way. Yeah. Now, as to your your question, Fenella, uh I, I think um, well, there are different groups of people. Um, I, I think that the the pandemic has affected sections of the workforce different, very differently. Um, there are certainly people who are. Uh, still exposed to uh, the, the, the virus in their workplaces, uh, but can't work from home because of the nature of their work. Um, and obviously that would bring with it a certain degree of anxiety. And I, I think it's uh, obviously the case that in, in many instances, these are the same people who are working in quite precarious jobs where they they really can't afford to take time away from work otherwise. Um, I think they, they would uh, in a lot of instances. We're talking about people who don't get sick leave, uh, for example. Uh, as for the people who uh, work from home, um, different set of challenges altogether. I mean, uh, obviously that blurring of um, family and work life has been challenging in some instances. And I think it's, it's kind of hard to distinguish the boundaries between uh, home life and and work life the way that it was before the pandemic. And I can certainly uh, imagine that that's had a significant impact on, on mm. people's well-being.
1: Certainly. In fact, we've had some questions that have come through, and, and Tim, I might um, throw some of these uh, to you. Um, Ryan said that his happiness has been hampered by personal responsibilities, leading on from what Dan has just been talking about. Um, like family, and you can't necessarily separate from this. Are there other ways that he can increase happiness or we can increase our happiness?
3: I guess I'll preface this by saying um, it's hard to respond directly to Ron because I don't know (laughs) his circumstances. And um, so I'll I'll try to answer that in a general sense. But um, I guess going back to the point Carolyn made earlier, which I, I, I highly agree with, that, that these uh, one of the things we can take from the fact that we've, as we've agreed, there are different definitions, different perspectives of happiness. What, what I would, uh, one of the ways I would interpret that from a psychological perspective is what it also means is we can choose which definition we want to pursue, or we can choose which type of happiness we want to create. Um, and so that means we can choose whether to pursue um, you know, a hedonic type of happiness, such as about short-term pleasure, et cetera, or a more meaningful life. Uh, or, as I said, these aren't mutually exclusive, so some combination of that, along with uh, all the other factors we've spoken about. So coming back to Ryan, I suppose, I guess the first thing I'd say is, um, given his circumstances, which obviously I don't know that well, um, given his circumstances, what does he consider would be the best possible life he can live Facing all of his responsibilities, and then what can he put into place to make better reality, or to bring that about as best he can? Remembering that you know we don't live in an ideal world; uh, the world's not perfect. So, how can we live with those imperfections uh, as best as possible?
0: Caroline, what do you think? Well, again, I think I think there's there's these different types of happiness. I think that the current circumstances. So, this is not directed specifically to Ryan's question, just but just more generally. I mean when objective circumstances are difficult and challenging, um, it may be that there's certain types of happiness that are less readily available than others um, and so I mean just picking up on Tim's point, it seems right that you that you it's important to sort of think about what type of happiness matters most to you and how you might uh, go about achieving that. It seems to me living through the pandemic uh, just Watching, I mean, I, I'm relatively fortunate. I still have a job, at least now. Let's see how that goes. Um, but and you know, I can work from home, and so I, I feel I feel thinking about the misfortune of others. I feel incredibly fortunate, um, and that in itself is one technique that positive psychologists, as Tim can tell us about, um, recommend for improving happiness: thinking, being grateful for what you have and um, appreciating your good fortune. So I, I do feel feel that. But on the other hand, I sort of think that some people really are doing it much tougher. And for them, uh, I'm not sure that it's a helpful recommendation to try and find chippiness among all the, uh, you know, it's like, it's not really realistic, a realistic response, it's better to look for or more adaptive kind of responses to that situation, perhaps. Mm.
1: This idea that you can be happy in the face of other people's unhappiness is something that um, we've talked about a, a little bit before. Can I get you to talk a little bit about that too? I mean, how important is it? How important is it to consider the happiness? of others.
0: Can we be happy when somebody else isn't? Yeah. Well there's a lot of research. So the the, the ancients, if you go all the way back to Aristotle, they thought that virtue was not just a, a cause of happiness, understood as some sort of subjective feeling, but actually constitutive of it. I mean, literally you couldn't be happy unless unless you're a certain sort of person, including, you know, including a kind of a kind. And compassionate and thoughtful kind of person. So virtue was sort of built into what it was to be happy. Um, But even if you just think of happiness as we moderns tend to do, as a sort of subjective psychological state, kind of positive emotions or or subjective feelings of satisfaction, then there's an awful lot of evidence to suggest that the best way to achieve those feelings is by not thinking about your own happiness and by, by trying to you know, uh, act generously and promote the happiness of others. So there's lots of research that shows that people who are given money um, and spend it on themselves are less happy than people who are given money and spend it on other people. So that, that's just one of many kind of examples. So, yeah, I'm, I am uh, I think, you know, and th- then, um, so that's that's how virtue is a cause of happiness. Uh, but in addition to that, there's also a very long kind of tradition in philosophy that thinks that um, positive emotions have to be connected to the, to to what's really going on in the world for them to be appropriate and desirable um, responses. So if if you're surrounded by people who are suffering, then um, righteous anger, righteous indignation, kind of things like that, if they can they can be a constructive. I mean, in some sense, they're negative emotions, right? Because they're unpleasant to feel, but they might be. Uh, Um, entirely justified and positive and instrumentally very valuable response to what's going on so I sort of feel like in the conditions of the pandemic it's right maybe we're right to have righteous anger at certain kinds of things that are that are going on and not be just cheerful and chipper to use your term (laughs) I
4: think think Carolyn's absolutely right I mean uh, I I, the the question that I, I think I'd ask um, of of Ryan, were we to meet, is uh, you know what what sorts of social supports are missing? What are the systemic things that aren't going right in terms of the way we organize our society and the way we we organize resources and power uh, that would give you a break, you know? Um, and 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 I guess especially, well, you know, I talked about the, the government's positive response to the pandemic before. You know, those measures have been unbound now or wound back, so. Uh, you know essentially there's a poli- policy choice right now or uh, you know numerous policy choices working in parallel to make people um suffer unnecessarily and i personally i'm a pretty happy person in my personal life but i, I there's there's a lot that i'm, I'm mad about uh at that, that level of power and structures um it's one of the reasons that i i, I do this work
1: so you can be happy and unhappy at the same time so it's 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 fair enough for me to wake up in the morning feeling deeply optimistic and go for a run which i know makes me feel happy but at the same time i get to the television at 11 o'clock and i shout at the tv <laughs> does, it, does anybody else do
2: this yeah yes. i mean and that that is that's what a comedian basically does uh, that's that's their job is to to live their life and go through all of the emotions of what's going on in the world around them or their personal relationships things that may have gone wrong or all the lack of finances, but at the end of the day when the when you get on stage and the spotlight hits you, your job is to make people laugh and sometimes it's the, the last thing that you yourself want to do and that can be really difficult, but we describe it as um, doctor footlights or doctor theatre, that as soon as you hit a stage there's something about that that can allow you to forget your day. And I've often walked off stage having had the worst day in months and I come off stage and the energy and the sharing of ideas and the response of laughter is enough to make me forget about them. And I can sleep, (laughs) I can go to bed happier knowing I made other people laugh, but also that what I'm doing as my job is helping me and coping with a lot of those things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And Mm. and that's where we get our material from. I mean, we are reflecting back to an audience a lot of the time uh, what they're thinking and feeling as well, but we just happen to have the uh, ability to say it. And so there's a collective, um, there's a group feeling of, of, forgetting our troubles what goes on outside that door now is irrelevant what's on stage now for the next hour hour and a half is what's most important there's something quite magical about that too and mm. I think that's what people are realizing with uh the lockdowns that we're suffering and, and since COVID has hit us and the la- and just how much we rely on that be it through music film books whatever it is that that allows you to escape and to forget and to reboot your emotions in a way is, is something everyone is turning to yet. Those who are the ones that create it all are having a hard time doing it at the moment. So it's an interesting uh, shift, but I think the audience mm. dynamic is something that I, um, I really love because you can have one person in that audience that's having a terrible day and is sitting there like this. That's my job is to make that one person laugh. If at the end of the show they've smiled or they unfolded their arms I feel like there's been some level of connection there that Mm. I've had with a complete stranger. And I hope they're happier than they were Mm. when they walked in.
3: I love that. Tim, you wanted to talk? Yeah, so I just want to pick up on a few points because I I think um, one thing we know from the psychological research, which is often overlooked and sort of doesn't get a lot of attention, although um, uh, it's very important, and particularly in in the context of this discussion, is that we, we can and do feel multiple emotions at the same time. So it's very possible. In fact, we often do feel uh, sad and happy at the same time, anxious and confident at the same time. And I think sometimes we, we forget about that, which means uh, at the moment it's perfectly appropriate, um, and I think Carolyn touched on this earlier, and Dan did, everyone has in different ways, is that uh, given what we're going through at the moment, it's perfectly okay not to be okay. In fact, it's appropriate not to be okay, certainly, all, you know, some of the time. Um, However, uh, going back to the question a few, <laughs> a few minutes ago, uh, what we do know is that if we can foster and develop a genuine positive emotion, so um, and I'm not talking about slapping on a fake smile, but if we can find a reason to feel good, well, what we do know is that happy people are more generous and more altruistic and more kind and compassionate. So the more, for example, if I can make myself feel better, then I'm more likely to do good for others. And I think particularly at the moment, you know, that's a really important thing. If, if I get bogged down in misery, I can't, I can't help anyone. But if I can at least pick myself up a little bit, I'm more likely to be uh, not just a good husband and father, but a good psychologist and and, and, and a good community member.
1: For sure. Um, this idea, in fact, Caroline, you talk about it in your talk. If you write a letter to a teacher um, that, you, that you loved at school, even if you didn't have to send it, but if you just write a letter to say how much you appreciated their education and their teaching it makes you exponentially happier, which I quite like. So I think it's really lovely. Big conversation, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, everybody here for this. Um, uh, Rebecca, I, I was I, I was going to put you on the spot and make you do an improv thing, but we've already discussed it. So you know yeah. that you're doing it. And and j- just briefly before, we've only got like a minute or so, but um, you've been listening to the conversation and you're going to do something for us. Uh, so what is it? That's
2: right. Um, I've been listening. As I said, uh, the, my job as an improviser is to be a sponge and absorb everything that's been said and then somehow manage to put it into some kind of artistic uh, endeavor and presented. So, uh, I've had a few key words buzzing around in my head from from our chat today. So, I'm just going to do a final poem uh, okay. to can happiness. We give you a, a, a class? Oh if yes, oh please, yes, I haven't done it here. for a while. <laughs> and take it away. Hi there there's something I'd like to confess. I've got some feelings about happiness. It's been great to sit here, to chat and to laugh and to know that we're talking straight from our hearts. And you see, I was reading those words, the mind map, and I saw lots of things that stood out with a clap. But the one thing for me What makes me prancing is I love nothing more than to feel happy when dancing. And we've also discussed something eudaimonic. Is that the word? I don't know if I've pronounced it correctly, but eudaimonic, eudaimonic. I have to say I'm going to name my dog something like it. Uh, It seems these words keep buzzing through my head. I'm going to be thinking about them when I go to bed but there's also pursuit of happiness there's money and music and sunshine and bless the use of religion to make someone happy is something i hadn't thought of but now i am clappy because <laughs> it's these things these ideas we can share which make us understand and to make us care and if i could do one thing and to all of you I bless, I wish you nothing more than a few bad days and plenty of happiness. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That's (laughs) fantastic. Um, uh, Always a delight
1: to, to, to hear some poems. I don't even, how do you say the word eudaimonic? Is it the word? Eudaimonic. Eudaimonic, that's the one. I I wrote it it down
2: phonetically and I'm sure it's wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So much to learn. Um, Look, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us uh, for this Sydney Ideas event on happiness. It's been um, an absolute delight. Sounds like a topic that we need to continue for sure. Uh, And do go along and listen to Caroline West's raising the bar talk uh, we'll make sure that link is provided to you um, after the show and of course on our sydney ideas website um, and all the other resources including tim's uh, website etc is all there so on that note i would now like to say thank you very much once again and uh to thank our speakers caroline west dan nahum uh of course dr tim sharp and rebecca de unamuno thank you for joining us here at sydney ideas we really appreciate it
0: thanks for listening to the sydney ideas podcast For more links, resources or the transcript, head to the Sydney Ideas website
2: or subscribe to Sydney Ideas using your favourite podcast app.